Welcome to Books and Sound. I'm your host, Don Beavers, and this episode contains a digitally remastered theatrical presentation of one of the great works of literature. Please remember to subscribe so that you can enjoy new episodes as they are released. This podcast is provided free and offered without commercial interruption. If you enjoy the episode, please leave us a positive review so that we can grow the podcast. Enjoy. Tom Bosley. Welcome once again to the world of wonder and imagination. The world not only of today and tomorrow, but of yesterday. The magic world of radio. You know that today our nuclear submarines prowl the whole floor of the five oceans and all seven seas. They skirt the equator and slide silently under the great polar ice cap. But a century ago, only the genius of someone like Jules Verne could have prophesied its coming or imagined a ship like the Nautilus, that strange, unexplained monster of the deep that you are about to meet and live with now. Our tale today is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, adapted from Jules Verne's novel for the General Mills Radio Adventure Theater by Ian Martin. It stars Paul Hecht. I'll be back shortly with Act One. In the year 1866, a sea monster was sighted by merchant ships at various times in every ocean of the world. It was larger than a whale, long, cigar-shaped, gray-mottled in color, and when approached, disappeared beneath the surface so rapidly and mysteriously that no one could get near enough to classify it. What was it? Arguments, even among scientists, ranged from prehistoric monster to half-submerged wreck to some incredible man-made subterranean vessel. For myself, Professor Aranax, I am convinced it is a machine. That can roam the world at will, Mr. Secretary, submerge for incredible lengths of time, and is at least the size of the largest whale? Incredible, I know, but... As Secretary of the Marine, I would value your opinion. Well, then, consider the sightings of Australia and in the Pacific by the steamship Phoenix and the Columbus. They both thought of it as a sandbank until suddenly two columns of water shot upwards from it to the height of 150 feet into the air, correct? Those are the reports. Yes, well, does this not suggest some species of whale? With a natural force to spout that high? Besides, remember the steamship Moravian? And far worse still, the Scotia. Yes, those two ships which were struck. Exactly. Rammed by something powerful enough to pierce iron plates two inches thick and rip holes in them two yards in diameter below the water line. Now, what animal, what whale could accomplish that? Well, the narwhal, perhaps. But the narwhal is relatively small. Some 30 feet. Ah, but suppose that bug travels at a speed of 20 to 30 miles, armed with a battering ram like a long lance tooth. Now let us speculate on an enormous narwhal, a sea unicorn. I hope you're right. But as an American concerned with the defense of my country, I must lean to the other side of the argument, that this is some gigantic war machine. The United States has made its decision. The heavily armed frigate, the Abraham Lincoln, under the command of Captain Farragut, has been outfitted to hunt this creature, machine, whatever it is, 
and destroy it. Well, I cannot imagine it is anything man-made. Would you care to join the Abraham Lincoln in its search? Well, I am just about to return to France, uh, Mr. Secretary, but... uh... Why me? Because in your capacity as professor to the Museum of Natural History in Paris, we consider you the foremost marine biologist in the world. If we cannot destroy this terror of the seas, perhaps we can at least identify it. I shall give you my answer before I return to France. I hope it will be yes. Now, I must hurry back to the ministry. Very good, sir. I will have my servant, Conseil, bring you to your carriage. That is the bell, Conseil. I have it with you, the professor. Professor Aranax? Uh, I am his servant, Conseil. I'm Lieutenant Heath, United States Frigate Abraham Lincoln. I bear this message from my captain, Captain Farragut. Will monsieur enter? No, I think I'd better stand by my horse. Will you be so good as to deliver this letter to your master? I'll wait for the answer. As you wish, Lieutenant. Excuse me. Who is it, uh, Conseil? A message from Captain Farragut. Uh Aha. Let me see. Doctor. Something is wrong. Oh, the monster has been sighted in the Pacific, uh, off the coast of Peru. We, I, am invited to sail on the American ship to track it down. Well, well, what do you think, Conseil? Whatever pleases Monsieur de Professeur. There uh, is a lieutenant outside the door who awaits a reply to his captain. Well, uh, will you go with me? Oh, where else, monsieur? <laughs> Shall I tell the lieutenant? No, 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 no. I will tell him myself. Finish our packing. We should sail from Brooklyn with the tide. Ah, oui, monsieur. Ah, lieutenant. I am Professor Avernax. Oh, I shall serve, sir. What message do I bring my captain? That I and my servant accept a gracious invitation from him and the United States... And we'll be aboard before the tide turns. Uh, Monsieur Pierre Aranax? Uh, yes, the same, and this is my servant, Conseil. I uh, Conseil, I'm Captain Farragut, and the large gentleman beside me is Canada's gift of whalers, the finest harpoon in the world, Ned Land. Pleased to make your acquaintance, Professor. Conseil, I am particularly pleased to make yours, Mr. Land. We will need all your skill if we are to capture this creature who has managed to terrorize the world. Lieutenant Heath, have we slipped mooring? We have, sir. Very well. Full engines ahead. Set them into the shroud. We'll clap on all sail before we clear the headland. And so began the great adventure with all of us straining forward in anticipation, almost as though the monster would come boiling out of the water the moment we had cleared the harbor. But it was to be many weary days and weeks before that happened. Until further proof, Professor, I'd have to deny that any whale or sea unicorn such as you described could pierce the hull of a ship. My legend is full of stories of ships the narwhal has pierced through and through. Wooden ships, perhaps, not the iron plates of a steamer. There might just be such a creature as your narwhal. And if there is... I can't wait to sink my harpoon in it. Where she moves! She moves! Well, Mr. Land, you may just have your chance. But 
But what the lieutenant had sighted proved to be a real whale. A whole school of them, in fact, and not the monster we were seeking. Still, the encounter was to establish one thing. That Ned Land was a formidable friend. And his skill with a harpoon was beyond belief. There she blows, Mr. Land. Which side shall we come up on her? Steady as you go, Lieutenant. Left up hard to starboard as we fetch it. Good job, Max We're headed for a kill. Just as she runs. Pretty, lads, pretty. Driver, driver, now. Come on out. Sit forward and hold fast. throw was unerring. The bar beat sure and true, and suddenly as the great mammoth reacted to the strike and sounded deep, our frail boat was streaking through a white, curling foam. Like a bundle It was on the return from this adventure that I started my log. Its first entry, 6th of July, 1867. We have finally rounded Cape Horn at the tip of South America. We are now beating up to the northwest into the great body of the Pacific. And Captain Farragut has gathered all of us on deck. Now we've just rounded the horn. And all of you on board know what we seek. I'm empowered by the United States government to offer prize for the first man to sight this scourge of the seas, whatever it is. And the prize is a purse of $2,000. It was an excitement that was gradually ground to boredom as during the next wearying four months we crisscrossed the waters of the Mid and North Pacific. Finally, on the 5th of November, with the coast of Japan only about 200 miles to leeward, the great moment arrived. Night was approaching, and eight bells was striking. Every eye, telescope, set of glasses was still fixed on our horizons. Look sharp, Conseil. This may be the last chance of pocketing that $2,000. If I may be permitted to say, monsieur, I never counted on it. <laughs> you are right. It is a foolish affair, after all. So much time and emotion lost. <laughs> when we could have been back in France six months ago. Are we in your small apartment. Uh, and the museum. With all the specimens we had brought from America. Hey, But this is no whale. This is the monster we seek. I claim the $2,000. Everybody on deck to check me out. Way-ho! Way-ho! Whatever it is, there she blows! At two cables length from the ship, on the starboard quarter, the sea was boiling. In the center of it was the mass, the reality, the strange center of a violent activity. What was it? What could it be? That would have to wait for closer inspection. An inspection I might have been well counseled to leave alone. Because what had turned out to be a roundabout trip back to France was suddenly about to be a wild trip beyond imagining. A voyage 
that before it was finished would add up to 20,000 leagues under the sea. is it that Ned Land and Conseil and Professor Aranax are looking at? What strange monster of the deep has risen to challenge them? Is it a living, breathing monster? Or some strange undersea boat beyond anyone's understanding in that day and age a hundred years ago? And if it is, who commands it? Is he a man? Or what? I'll be back shortly with Act Two. General Mills Radio Adventure Theater will return shortly. The chase is on. Zigzagging across the wide wastes of the Pacific, the USS Abraham Lincoln pursues the gigantic narwhal. It maneuvers with breathtaking speed, spinning around and away and back towards the ship. And as the shades of the night start to come down, more and more it glows like something red hot. Its darting and cutting and swooping bewilders its pursuers. And its evasiveness makes a mockery of the conical bullets designed to pierce armor which are loaded in the ship's guns. Is that a hit, Captain? No, sir, not yet. Another ball to the right! Keep your eyes on it, Mr. Aronax. Would you break out the small boats to attack the command? We'll never take the beast that way. Oh, but you advise. I'll post myself by the bowsprit. Just get me within harpoon and distance, and I'll spike it. I'll join you, Ned. I wouldn't miss this for anything. And I will not leave my master out of Very well. Come along, Conseil. Good open, all three. I'll try to bring you within range. Night was coming down. As the three of us clung to the twisting, heaving bow of the ship, water streaming back as she cut through the waves. Ahead of us, suddenly still, floating on the surface as we cut towards it, lay the great narwhal. Ned Land, one hand grappling the martingale, the other brandishing his harpoon, leaned out with us over the water. Then all of us... Dark mass suddenly glowing as it twisted toward us. Look out ahead, Ned! I'm watching, Professor. Oh, dear, it's enormous. It must be nearly 300 feet long. Well, let's see how it likes the taste of a harpoon. Ah, I eat. Yes, Conseil, but the harpoon bounced away as though it had hit armor. I didn't stop it. Ah, but you may have hurt it. Yes, but not stopped it. Look out! It's part of a catapulted the three of us into the water. It was dark by now, and thrashing about, I was conscious that our ship was disappearing into the night. I was struggling and yelling. Help! Help! If Master would leave on my shoulder, he could swim with more ease. It is you. And our ship, when I throw myself into the sea, I have men cry that both screw and rudder were broke and we are lost. Oh! <laughs> Professor, are you there? Yes! The yes. same. <laughs> still, 
seeking his bride. Uh, you were thrown into the sea as well. Yes, Professor. But more fortunate than you, where I found a footing on a floating island. What are you talking about? <laughs> and discovered why my harpoon was useless. I don't understand. Because, Professor, your gigantic narwhal is made of sheet iron. It's lying just under the water, and we can stand on it. Before I could reach for it with my feet, the strange machine came to meet us and carry us above the surface of the ocean. Desperately, we clawed and found a sort of cap rail to cling to. As long as it sails horizontally, I don't mind. But if it takes an ocean to dive, we're all goners. In the light of the moon, I could see the silhouette of our ship some five miles off fading over the horizon. There was no more time for talk. Only time enough to lash ourselves to the railing and ride out the night. A long night, during which from sheer exhaustion, I blacked out. Master. <laughs> Master. What? What is it? Can't say? <laughs> yes, Master. Where, where, where are we? Oh, it, it, it's dark. I, ca- I can see nothing. We are inside, Monsieur. They came for us. What? what? Who, who came for us? Eight of them. Masked men. Is that you? No one else, Professor. Who were these masked men? They came from inside the ship, armed, and forced us into captivity. A ship? Aye, your giant narwhal is no freak of nature. It's man-made. Yes, Master. A huge vessel that does sail upon the sea, but beneath it also. This is a submarine ship. Who knows how deep in the ocean we're buried? Well, who commands it? We don't know. For all I know, they're pirates. But I still have my bowie knife. And if there's any trouble... Ned, I... Ned, no, it's no point in useless violence. Let us first study where we are. And, if possible, why? I have been unconscious. But it seems you were not now. Tell me what happened. But he had little to tell me beyond the simple facts that eight masked men had driven us into the dark, confined cell in which we found ourselves. And that the language they spoke, however little it was used, was unfamiliar. Apparently, we were prisoners. But of whom? for what reason and what our fate might be was as mysterious as the room we were shut fast in. A room which had no break in its smooth walls, save for a door, which we discovered... What the... Lights. But they don't show us much. We don't already know. Uh, What time is it? No idea, except for my stomach. (laughs) That says it's dinner time. Uh, If so, we must have slept 24 hours. And what we were given to drink after they hauled us aboard must have been drunk. Uh, That is very possible. I wonder what they mean to do with us. Starve us to death, maybe. I'll make them pay some attention. I'll break the door down. Or cause enough excitement to get someone here to stop me. Calm yourself. Calm yourself, Mr. I can't, Professor. I'm a man who wants results. Which you can get without forcing the issue if you'll only take time to see that the door is already opening. 
five men entered, four of them armed. The fifth man, tall, lithe, muscular, with a high forehead which suggested deep intelligence. His most remarkable feature, aside from a great mane of deep chestnut hair, were his eyes, spread so far apart that they could take in a quarter of the horizon at one glance. You arrogant pirate, I demand you set us free. Quiet, Mr. Land. How do you know my name? Whether you remember it or not, I've already interrogated all of you. While we were drugged? Well, say rather, Professor Aranax, while you were under the influence of medication to help you recover from exposure. But we did not ask for it or need it. Well, possibly, Monsieur Conseil. But then it is I who give the commands aboard this vessel. My heaven, how much time you for this You will, Mr. Land. And listen. Yes, please, Ned. We owe him that courtesy. Ah, very well. You are all a threat to me, Professor. Unintentionally, sir. Unintentionally? (laughs) Well, was it unintentional that your ship, the Abraham Lincoln, pursued me? That you took passage on that ship? That the cannonballs from your ship rebounded off the armor of my ship? That Mr. Land struck us with his harpoon? I don't think you understand what a mystery and a threat you pose to the world outside your own. I have done with the world. I am my own world. And in my own world, my world is law. But I... Hush, Ned. Very well, then. Since you control our fate, will you please tell us what it is to be? I will assign you cabins. You will have the freedom of the ship. And in exchange for this liberty, I only ask one thing. Your word of honor to accept its limitations. You are not offering us anything but a life sentence, cruel and unjust. No, sir. It is clemency. You are my prisoners of war. You attacked me, tried to surprise me, and unlocked the secret of my whole existence. You think I can send you back into a world which must never know me again? Oh, never. In keeping you, it isn't you I'm guarding, but myself. So, in effect, you are offering us life or death. Exactly. And there isn't much choice as to what our answer will be. But no word of honor will bind us not to escape, if we can. I will accept that qualification and offer in return one of my own. From time to time, certain unforeseen events may require me to consign you to your cabins for some hours or days, as the case may be. Other than that, you are free members of our society and the world of the Nautilus. The uh, Nautilus? The name of my ship. And how are we to address you, sir? My name from your world I have abandoned. Here I am the captain. If you must have a name to go with that, you may call me Captain Nemo. In the next days, I was to become amazed by the wonders of this strange world in which I found myself. The spacious cabins, the drawing room, the dining room, the library, and the control cabin all left me breathless. But most of all was the construction of the ship itself, its engines and its capabilities. Dining with Captain Nemo, he seemed to have no hesitation in answering whatever question I raised. 
Did you enjoy your dinner, Professor? Ah, it was excellent, excellent, Captain. But what amazed me beyond belief was not the fish, which, of course, your nets can capture, but how you can supply meat. Uh, what you thought to be meat was fillet of turtles. Ah. What you thought pork, dolphin livers. You see, we find our game in our submarine forest. Yes, but the ship itself, well... Here in my room, you can see all I need to navigate it. You know, his instrument. Yes, most uh, barometer, compass, sextant, uh, chronometer. Uh, this, the dial with the movable needle, is a manometer, is it not? Correct. It measures external pressure and reads out depth. Uh-huh. And these uh, other instruments? Do you really want to know? Well, I don't want to pry into any oh, secrets. Oh, my dear Professor Aranax... I need have no secrets from you. I am grateful for your trust in me. Oh, it is not a matter of trust. Where could you break it? Since I can assure you, your life belongs here on the Nautilus. I will not permit you or anyone, including myself, to leave this ship alive. The incredible Captain Nemo. Captain of a ship built a century before its time. A sleek submarine run on power drawn from the sodium in the seawater, capable of speeds up to 50 knots an hour, constructed to travel on the surface or submerged to the deepest trough in all the oceans. The Nautilus, queen of the sea, a world to itself, and at the same time, a prison from which no man could escape. I'll return shortly with Act Three. General Mills Radio Adventure Theater will return shortly. It is estimated that the amount of Earth covered by water is about 140 million square miles, about equal to all the water from all the rivers that they would pour into the sea in 40,000 years. Now, all this water is divided into five great oceans. And of all these, the Pacific Ocean is the quietest. Its currents are broad and slow. It has medium tides and plenty of rain. And it was on this ocean that the last voyage of the Nautilus began. Now, Professor, I brought the Nautilus to the surface. You see where we are now. We have climbed by the central staircase to the steersman's cage, all glass enclosed, as you see. But it is not this way when we are submerged. Oh, no. This and the other glass cage, like it forward, which contains our great searchlights, are retracted into the body of the ship when we go down. As is the longboat. The longboat? Oh, you see the swell of the hull between the cages? Beneath those plates lies a small boat which can be released either on the surface or by a watertight arrangement when submerged. There. Taken our bearings, and this voyage is about to begin. We've got to make a plan to seize this ship, Professor. Yes, but how, Ned? Well, you've talked to the madman. How many men are aboard? Fifteen, forty, a hundred? I have no idea. But I would think near as a larger figure. Oh, it is that big. Oh, it is enormous, my good Conseil. Then this man must be the richest man in the world. <laughs> I have no doubt that... Oh, the lights have gone out. I knew this ship wasn't safe. It isn't natural to sail under the sea. Oh, look. 
he, he's going to drown it. Easy, Ned, easy. He's opening the hole to the sea. Yes, with glass to hold it back. Windows to the sea. But, Master, how could glass stand against the pressure of the water? I expect it's only one of the many miracles we will see before this strange voyage is over. No words can describe the enchanted forest we were looking upon. Seventy-five fathoms down, lit by powerful electric floodlights, the sea was visible from the Nautilus for a mile around. For two hours, an aquatic army awed and delighted us. The green labre, the banded mullet, the round-tailed goby, white with violet spots. Japanese salamanders, spider lampreys, serpents six feet long, a breathless parade too many to mention. Until suddenly... The cabin lights went on, and the panels shut, as Captain Nemo, followed by six of his sturdy crew, entered his brow black as thunder. Rush before you! Why, let go! What is it, Captain? Why have you ordered your men to seize us? Because they're required to keep one of the conditions that bind you to me. You must be confined till I see fit to release you. You are the master, but may I ask you one question? None, sir. Prisoner Kostagat! hurried to the same cell in which we had spent the first night. A meal was waiting for us. A meal that must have been drugged, for shortly after eating it, all three of us were dead to the world, with no knowledge of what had happened during the night. When we woke the following morning, only I was given some glimmering. Monsieur Aronnax, uh, I know that uh, several of your colleagues at the museum in Paris have studied medicine... Are you a doctor? Uh, yes, I am. I am still a resident surgeon to the hospital. Will you prescribe for one of my men? Is he ill? You will see. Well, I will prescribe for him, if I can. The man was not ill. He was wounded. Badly. A dreadful wound. Some blow which has shattered the skull and hopelessly damaged the brain. Well, Monsieur Aronnax, uh, what has caused this wound? Can it does not matter. Will he live? Uh, the man does not speak English. He will not understand. Very well. He will be dead before tomorrow. Can nothing save him? Nothing. You may go now, sir. I left Captain Nemo with tears in his eyes, bent in what seemed like prayer over the dying man. And that night, and for many to come... We saw nothing of him. But his presence was felt nightly as he played a great pipe organ whose oscillating tones filled the Nautilus as she sped through the ocean depths, headed we knew not where. Then one morning, the ship's engines were stilled and the captain came to me. Monsieur Aronnax... Uh, would you like to walk with me in the forest? Oh, I would be glad to set foot on dry land and breathe fresh air again. Uh, the walk I project will be on the sea bottom. It's object a sad one, and not without danger. But how will we walk at this depth? In the diving gear I have designed, in which you will be as comfortable as a man on the surface. Ned and Corset were of the same mind. Helped by members of the crew, we were fitted with rubber suits, heavy copper helmets, and a kind of iron mail like a flexible suit of armor. 
heavy leaden shoes and the tanks on our backs completed it all. And we were ready. Once in the water, the heaviness vanished and we walked easily and comfortably. We passed suddenly into an incredible coral kingdom in the center of which was a huge cavern like a sunken cathedral. It was only then I saw that the crew were carrying an oblong shape. Facing us was a huge cross of coral. And now they took this coffin, for that is what it was, and laid it gently beneath the cross. In a circle around their captain, they knelt and extended their hands in a last adieu. But it was on the way back that a new tragedy almost struck. A school of sharks were suddenly swarming about us. One of them, jaws opened wide like a factory shears, plunged at Captain Nemo. Coolly, he slipped to the side and buried his knife in its side, clinging with his other hand to the fin. The creature thrashed and whipped in a frenzy, the water boiling with such fury that it swept me from my feet. But as I fell, I saw Ned Land go to the rescue and with one mighty lunge, bury his harpoon to the hilt in the shark's heart. Are you all right, Captain Nemo? Quite. Thanks to you, Mr. Land. I owed you that one. Makes us even. Now will you let us go? Never. You expect us to live and die aboard this boat? It is the world I've chosen. Not the one I did. You chose to invade my world. I leave yours alone. What about that dead man you buried today? How did he get killed? Be silent. That wound was no accident. He got that in a battle. Who told you? What is it you're trying to revenge yourself on? Who are you? That secret will go with me to my grave. If my men and I are outcasts, it is because we want to be. On the 4th of January, having traveled 11,340 miles, came our first real opportunity to escape. I was up with Captain in the helmsman's cage as we sailed on the surface near the coast of Papua, when suddenly... An accident, Captain? No, an incident. Yes, but we are fast aground in open sea. The tides are not strong in this ocean. You have little hope of setting the Nautilus free. It is true that the tides are weak, but have no fear. In five days, the moon will be full and we will float again. Now, if you will excuse me, I have duties below... Professor. Yes, Ned. Now's our chance to escape. We'll all have to leave this ship. For you mark my words, this piece of iron will navigate neither under or over the seas again. Yes, I don't despair as you do, Ned. I will give the captain his five days to see what the moon will do to float us off. And the captain is right, friend Ned. For Conseil, just to set foot on land again, to find some game, some fresh meat. <laughs> Now it is Ned who is right, master. Will you not ask the captain for permission to go ashore? I will ask him, but I am afraid he will refuse. But to my amazement, he not only gave his permission, agreeably enough, but even furnished us with guns and hatchets. I should have known he had little to fear. We had spent four days ashore... And we had just dined on delicious game fowl, succulent yams with thick slices of breadfruit pie. Well, what was that? Oh, uh, you have some fruit from the cabbage farm. That was a spear. Savages, 
Look, look, there must be 50 of them. Can we make it to the boat? We'd better. They'll be the one filling their stomachs, and the dinner will be us. Chippos, Ned, Chippos, we have reached the Nautilus. Hurry, Professor, hurry. They're right on our tail. No, come on. Hurry, all will be well. Not if those headhunters get to us. Nothing to fear from them. Let me have the men see to the boat. Sit up. Prisoner left. Come, gentlemen. Step below decks. Batten down all the hatches before they board. No need. We will leave the hatches as they are. Not the proper ones. They are cannibals. Perhaps. But we will not harm them, and they will not harm us. What? What is that? The whole hull is charged with electricity. But don't be alarmed. Just enough to stun, not to kill. It's enough to scare off the natives. I have no quarrel with these people. can I say of the miracles performed by Captain Nemo, even to the fact that just as he had predicted at the exact hour, on the fifth day, the last waves of the tide lifted the Nautilus again to continue her endless journey under the waves. And now after a year, and nearly 20,000 leagues under the sea, this brilliant madman was heading us for the North Pole, up along the coast of Norway, we were standing on deck. What is that ship, Ned? Why, it's rigging a ship of war. Oh, may it reach us and sink this cursed Nautilus. Uh, but where is Captain Nemo? Uh, below, I think. So now is our chance. Into the water. Escape. Uh, say you're right. Stay where you are, gentlemen. You are not leaving the Nautilus. Besides, it will benefit you little to flee to that ship. I intend to sink it. Attack has begun. Go below. I will have my revenge. I am the law, and I am the judge. Through men like you, I have lost all I loved and revered. Country, wife, children, all that I hated before me. And I will strike them down with the spell of the Nautilus. of the other ship as we crashed, peeled back to helmsman's cage and spilled Conseil, Ned, and myself into the sea. Frantically, we swam away as the two vessels, still locked together, went down into the sea, almost sucking us down after her. Had it not been for Ned's strength, we would not have escaped. And only we three did, picked up by a Norwegian fishing boat. The strange ship that attacked us was lost with all hands. Captain Nemo and his men chose to go down with the Nautilus to a watery grave. Or did they? Perhaps they still roam as free as any undersea creature beneath the waves. Of course, whatever happened to Captain Nemo, he and his boat must have long ago disappeared since our adventure happened over a century ago. Captain Nemo was before his time. Today, with all the submarines in the world, Captain Nemo would find his private world a little crowded. And don't you think all of us are lucky that, thanks to the vision of Jules Verne, we were the first to sail with Captain Nemo for 20,000 leagues under the sea? I'll be back shortly. Included Paul Hecht, William Griffiths, Ian Martin, and Jackson Beck. 
The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Tom Bosley inviting you to return to the General Mills Radio Adventure Theater for another exciting tale you can hear through the magic of radio. The General Mills Radio Adventure Theater is recommended by NEA, the National Education Association.